This is the West Coast Project Podcast for Better Call Saul. My name is Mike. And I'm Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Mike. Jamie, what did you think of 108 Rico? I thought it was great. What did you think? It solved a bunch of mysteries for us. Did it? Yes. Hmm. Well, I'll be curious to hear what you say about that. (laughs) Okay. Do you know anything about Rico? First of all, it wasn't Rico the um, pizza delivery guy. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't this creepy dude, Rico, that I dated like maybe a few months ago. (laughs) It's the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Basically allowing law enforcement to put the big heavy hammer down on criminals that do certain things. Yeah. We'll have to learn more about the guy you dated later. (laughs) Well, okay. So we'll we'll say almost dated. He was just too creepy to date. (laughs) Okay. That makes it even more interesting. (laughs) But this episode starts with a flashback, right? Jimmy's a mail boy delivering mail on his crappy cart. Right. Okay. And so this is actually a mystery that was solved for me because, you know, we knew that, um, that Jimmy had gone to law school at the school, what is it? The law school of American Samoa. Yep. Um, but we didn't know when, and I have often sort of wondered if he was a late law school attendee, if he'd gone back like later in life or if he started off, you know, kind of started the ball rolling. And we knew that he was a little bit older when he went. But, I, I mean, he's kind of a new-ish lawyer. In this Better Call Saul series, you mean? Right. And, and like, okay, so, but this is only six years before the beginning of uh, of Breaking Bad, right? So he's kind of new in Breaking Bad, too. Well, yeah, but this is a flashback. We don't really know how far back. I think it's six years in the future of Breaking Bad when we're in real time on Better Call Saul. Right. Okay. So, but I'm thinking like it can't be more than a few years because he looks kind of the same age and everybody else kind of looks the same age. So I figured it's got to be kind of newish. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It's pretty close. You know, it's not, it's not like 10 years, I don't think. Yeah, I didn't think so either. But he doesn't have these. These uh, rich lawyers don't have a mail robot, Jamie. I know. How could they not? I don't know. Maybe too many turns, too many um, twists and turns. I don't either. That or they're just not cool enough. We do the Americans on our other podcast, and we are going to be interviewing the mail robot from the Americans. <laughs> uh, I have no idea how that's going to go. It could be a freaking disaster. It could be amazing, though. <laughs> We're going to find out. So listen in on the Americans on West Coast Project. Yes. All right. So Jimmy's uh, he's going around this, this shitty, this shitty uh, cart. He's pushing it around. And we also see Kim in a shitty part of this office. She's in the basement or some storage closet with a bunch of boxes and stuff. It's like it's almost nail salon-ish, isn't it? <laughs> almost. Um, Jimmy's excited about the results of something, and he's too excited to even open the letter, so he has Kim open the letter. Nervous. Scared. It's his third try for American Samoa, the the results of his... Well, he's already out of American Samoa. I guess third try to pass the bar. Right. Um, so yeah. Kim opens it and gives him a big kiss, like a lips kiss, Jamie. Another mystery solved. All right, you're right. You are you are right about these mysteries, I guess. So what what 
what solved for you? What did you determine from that kiss? Well, um, you know, we just kind of questioned maybe a podcast or two ago um, about their relationship and whether they had a future together or a past together. Yeah. So what? So what's your? Well, I think they definitely had at least some sort of a past because she kissed him right on the smacker, didn't she? Or you mean a present in this in this time frame in this flashback time frame? They're still hot and heavy with something. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't the friend kiss. It was definitely the friend boyfriend kiss. Exactly. And then he's ordering her food later. I'll save you some pizza and stuff. So I think it was closer then than it is now. Yeah, I'm worried about Kim. I think Kim's going to be a bad... I think it's a bad ending for them. No. You're <laughs> such an honest... You're, just like, you're like my other, my other podcast partner, Michelle. You're, just, you're so defensive of relationships. <laughs> No, I just like for people to stay alive, and you have like this thing about people getting the kibosh. All right, well, we'll mark my words. <laughs> he also goes to tell Chuck, and Chuck is, we see Chuck in full form here. He's firing on all cylinders, ipso factoing to his dictation machine. He's, he's ripping through a bunch of legalese, and he's really in, in top form here, and very un, unlike the way we've seen him in his uh, cubbied up in his house. Right, yeah, it was good to see him performing at his best. Jimmy, I like this scene because Jimmy almost makes American Samoa sound respectable. Well, okay, so here's my thing with Jimmy and with Saul. I feel like he's got a good heart. You know, and, and, and I think even Saul still kind of, he's jaded and everything, but he still has a good heart. I don't think you see him that way, but I do. And so I see his idealism there and I see his, like his enthusiasm and, you know, wanting his big brother to be proud of him. It, it was, it did my heart good. He's definitely a hard worker, right? Goes, goes to work all day, goes to school at night, tries, fails twice and tries, keeps trying. And never says a word about it. And, you know, he said he said to his brother, you're the busiest guy I know. How could I bother you with this? But I think he just wanted to save it until he finally had the best news to tell his brother so that he wouldn't ever disappoint him. I know a guy, Jimmy, who took the law, the bar three times. He failed it the first two times. He actually worked for me for a while. And on the second time, it was at a party, a celebration party for him becoming a lawyer. And he found out he failed it at the party. Oh, no. So, like, he took it the first time, failed it, right? Tried again the second time, and everybody was like, okay, you got it nailed this time, so we'll have a party. So, at the party, he got the news that he had flunked it. Oh, no, that's horrible. So, he had to try again, and he did, he finally passed it. Awesome. That's good for it. Is he successful? Do you still know him? He's pretty young. He's he's probably he's probably in his thirties. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing now. I think he's kind of doing what he wants to do. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing as far as being a lawyer. But he was a really smart guy, a really cool guy. Well, I'm glad he passed it, George. I don't know if he's out there listening to us, but George, I'm glad you made it. I know this dude who got disbarred. He um he he embezzled money from his actual clients and took drugs and got disbarred is his name jimmy <laughs> no 
All right. Well, go land crabs. He gets his degree from American Samoa, and he gets his he passes the bar. Pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, he wants Chuck to be proud of him. He even asks him in so many words, "Are you proud of me?" But it came out rather forced, right, Jimmy? It, you think Chuck really is proud of him, or he's just t- kind of telling him what he wants to hear? No, um, I actually watched it back twice because I wondered the same thing. And um, and the second time I watched it, uh, it felt to me definitely that um, whatever pauses were there were kind of maybe for us as the audience to kind of be like waiting, like, is he going to be proud of him? Because I think Chuck was definitely proud of him. Seemed like on the second try, the second time through, he did. Uh, seem proud of him, but I don't know about the first. It seemed forced for for some reason. I mean, why would it ever be forced, right? Why why did it take two tries? Yeah, well, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know, but I felt like definitely um, it was clarified for me. Like Chuck was definitely on his side, and Chuck was definitely proud of him because even Chuck was saying, "Well, why wouldn't they want you to work here?" Kind how, of. How about Chuck deferring to Howard to see if he might be able to hire him? Well, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, that's your company and you have a partner, you have to, you know, give your partner the at least some kind of say in it. So I guess that's what he did. I guess. But this isn't just some guy. This is his brother. I mean, yeah. you'd, think, you'd, think, you'd think we'd hear like, dude, I'll do whatever I can. You know, Howard's an ass, but I'll see what I can, you know, I'll do my be- best. But it didn't come out that way. Yeah, it kind of didn't. I don't know. But you know what? Oh, I wanted to tell you this. Um, okay, so you know how last episode we were talking about the cornfield thing, how Jimmy made that comment about sending Kim, Kim out to the cornfield? Yes. Okay, so I think that that Jimmy kind of thinks of Howard as being that kid. That's that's why it's so kid. And maybe he's had that kind of effect on Jimmy's life, like kind of banishing him and just bringing all kinds of bad things just at his own whim, you know? Howard can turn people's mouths into mute blanks and t- turn them into jack-in-the-boxes? Maybe a little. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not, you know, like real-world style, like, you know, giving him no job and making his life miserable. Yeah, figuratively. Yeah. Could be. We'll see. Howard, or um, yeah, Howard joins Jimmy in his little cake party in the mailroom. Now, this was an interesting little scene where they he dismisses everybody else and has a talk with Jimmy, but we can't hear what they say. Right? Did you? What was your take on what they said? What did Howard tell Jimmy? Oh, some BS. Some kind of BS. And that's you know that's when I started thinking of Howard as being like that because you know that's what he did was just so awful. He could have given him a chance and he didn't and then he after letting him down like really devastating him he walks out with his cake he's just what do you think he told what did he think what do you think he let him down on i don't know i I, well when he said the thing about we'll give it another look in six months to me that means that maybe it was something he was trying to say it was performance based that maybe you know jimmy's performance wasn't good or i don't know I don't know. So it's it's like a related job to the mail clerk thing, or do you think it's the can I be a lawyer at your firm question? Well, no. It, I mean, it had to be the, like, I'm turning you down. Um, you know, your brother came to me and mentioned that you, you know, passed the bar and you want to come work here, but you're a mail boy and you're not even a very good mail boy, so we'll, you know, have to look at this again in six months or something maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's the that's the most obvious implication is that Chuck said something to Howard and Howard came in and dropped the bomb on him that he's not really got a position for him. Right. But why would Saul stay, or Jimmy, why would Jimmy stay a mail clerk in a crappy position when he can now get a job as a lawyer anywhere else? Well, why would we think that he would stay? Yeah, you're right. Maybe he didn't. I wouldn't. Okay. Um, they had a really good insider podcast on the Breaking Bad, or the Breaking Bad, the Better Call Saul insider cast. Actually, Howard was on that. Oh, was he? It was interesting. I forget the guy's name. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, Howard, the real guy, was on it, and he was a pretty cool guy. He was talking about how they gave him like these really good suits to wear and how they seemed like um, a cape almost, like when you're sitting in a room with the best uh, suit, the most expensive suit, you're like Batman in his cape, right? You know you're wearing the best, the most expensive suit. It makes you feel important and powerful. Hmm. So he gave a really nice compliment to Jennifer Bryan, who I guess is the the – props manager in charge of all the clothing because um, he was trying to say look this suit isn't really me I'm, you know I'm not this fancy and she's like no 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 just try it just wear it for a few times huh. but it changed his attitude even in acting as Howard it made him feel uh, super powerful yeah sometimes clothing really can make all the difference do you think uh, so Howard leaves and the, we see the copier going you think Chekhov's copier Jamie <laughs> Like in what sense? Yeah, Chekhov's copier. Like, we're going to see another copier later or hear about a copier issue later. Um, I don't get it. I don't know what you mean. Well, I'll point it out again when we get to it and ask you what you think. Okay. So that was it. The credits roll. That was the first opening scene. And we come back in real time now, real showtime. Kim has her office back. Uh-huh. Um, it's a roller coaster ride for her. Huh? She gets booted out. Then she's back. She's hanging her pictures again. Yeah, I'm starting to get a little mad at her for doing that. She needs to get her own situation going. Those people don't treat her very well. Well, she's going to stick there now after this. She's like back and she's got a pretty important pretty important job. And she just looks like she just pulled this case off with the uh, Kettleman's because Howard asked her to celebrate with him on the plea agreement. Right. And see, the thing is, the thing is. That here are these people kind of, you know, floating around with all their, you know, accomplishments. And they've got the news conference and all this stuff. And Jimmy is the one who did this. You know, he's the superhero behind this whole thing. And he doesn't get any credit. Well, she got the, she got the great deal for, the Kettle, for Craig Kettleman. Yeah, but he saved her. He did. He brought it back to their, to their, into their realm. But she really worked well to get him that great deal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, she's good. Just Howard has nothing to do with it. He's just a big, fat jerk. Yeah, he's the front of the law firm. He's going to stand up and grab all the credit. Of course. Yeah, but you're right. Jimmy did bring it back to them. They wouldn't have had any chance at this if Jimmy hadn't done what he did with the Kettleman's. Right. So we see Jimmy at the Sandpiper home now, the elderly folks' home, Sandpiper Crossing. And I thought it was Howard on the TV when he first walked in there. Did you catch that? It was like Howard speaking in real time, and then he was seemed like he was on the TV at the Sandpiper reception area. You know, I didn't notice that. Oh, I'm sorry. missed it. Something was on the TV. I thought it was him. Maybe not. So Jimmy gets into the old folks' home, and he glad hands everybody like he does, handing out business cards. <laughs> Even to the sleeping people. Yeah, he's such a politician. 
Um, and he meets with sweet little old Mrs. Landry to finish her will. Um, pretty sweet little scene here. She's short of cash, but Jimmy lets her off the hook for the $140. And then he even discounts it. She she looks in her little money jar, and she doesn't have enough. So he even discounts it down to 120 and just says the whole, you know, just says pay me the whole amount when, when you got it. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, heart of gold. But this was important because she makes comments about how her allowance is a little short this month. Right. And I guess what the deal is is that the sandpipers get they get all the money from these people living there, and then they dole it out less expenses. And Jimmy looks into this and finds out that expenses are things like fourteen dollars for Kleenex, twenty-two dollars for aspirin, a few bucks a roll for toilet paper. They're just getting ripped off by these expenses at the old folks' home. Exactly. And it's funny because she makes it sound like they're doing this to make it easy for her. So, you know, somebody pitched that to her like, you just give us everything and we take care of everything. And then we give you an allowance like sounds easy. Yeah, poor thing. She's so innocent about it. Yeah. But Jimmy, this registers with Jimmy and he gets he gets the lowdown from other Sandpiper residents. He gets this Mrs. Landry to get them together. And this is where Jimmy trips up a little bit because he does it without thinking that maybe I should do this on the lowdown. But he does it in front of the manager who sees him. And uh, I just thought he could have been a little bit more careful here. Yeah, I agree. But you know what? That's that's one of those other characteristics about him is that he he kind of he has a lot of courage and i don't think his first impulse is to hide and make himself smaller he's a bigger than life guy and i think you know when he sees something going on he kind of you know that's like the the urgency to do the right thing or to do the helpful thing is his first impulse yeah, he's, he should have been a little bit more wary. He was too trusting of like, well, I'll just do what's right, and everybody wants what's right to happen, but that's not really the case. This woman doesn't want anybody sharing their in, inside secrets on their billings and their experiences with Sandpiper with Jimmy so he can get them all together and, and kind of figure it out. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> I was so irritated by that. I was just thinking, you know, here you are, lady, you're probably earning an hourly wage and you are going to shut this thing down she should have been a whistleblower i you know and i know that's not the story and i know that's not the thing but it just made me so mad because i'm kind of like you know i want the underdog to to get you know their justice i want you know and and uh, it just uh, it upset me so much i kept watching her and i think i was thinking like you know how could it be that she would really want to shut this down but she did i got the impression she was some sort of a manager like it was in her interest to keep the keep the kibosh on this i guess she she wasn't just the secretary i think she was some sort of because she she spoke like she had authority right yeah yeah you're right well, Jimmy goes home and tells Chuck, and Chuck's been working on the boxes of stuff Jimmy left behind, like Tom Sawyer. <laughs> I guess that was the wills, his will business. He's just hoping Chuck would get involved in it, too. Um, I don't think Jimmy was being Tom Sawyerish here, though. I think he was just trying to prompt Chuck into getting back in action. Oh, absolutely. Um, so Jimmy's excited about the Sandpiper scam and shares it with Chuck. And they look at the small print. It's like microfilm. They make a comparison to that. 
and they find out they're concealing these fees and that makes it fraud. And there's a there's an important point here where Jimmy uh, where actually Chuck says, I saw this, you or I didn't see this and you caught it. Good job. And Chuck kind of missed this when he was looking at looking at the boxes of, of the wills and stuff, I guess. I guess I guess that clue was in those boxes. Yeah, there was there I think it was some of those charges, some of the, the, the billing or the high charges or something, they were they were actually part of the the paperwork that Jimmy had, but Chuck hadn't seen it, which he kind of shouldn't have because the print was like super small, but maybe that's, you know, one of those things. Yeah, but he's the he's the genius. He's supposed to catch everything. Right. So Sandpiper's owned by a big real estate investment trust and you know, they have some they have some big they have some big holdings. So it's kind of a big deal. It's not just one little nursing home somewhere. Right. And Jimmy's looking for this pattern now to maybe make it into a class action class action suit and make it make it into some big big case that he can take on. Yep. Now he comes back and he tries to get in and gets stopped at the door by the by this lady we were talking about. No solicitors. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's a manager of some kind. I'm really sure of this because no secretary would stand up to him as strongly as as she did. Right. Yeah, she had something some some interest in that. So he sees them through this veiled door, this this shaded room, um, shredding documents. And um, Jamie was cool on the Insider cast. They had the writer Gordon Smith was one of the writers. He's he's a pretty new writer to um, Better Call Saul. New writer to Gilligan's team. He was his assistant. And um, this may be like the first or second episode of all Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad that he's written. He's a really kind of a rookie. His sister and his mother are lawyers. So oh, okay. the word for shredding is spoilation. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, spoliation. Spoliation, yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy kind of says you're spoliating in there. Yep. But, um, his mother and his sister gave that word to Gordon, and Gordon introduced it to Gilligan and the writer's team, and so that's how spoliation got into this episode. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so Jimmy uses the restroom as a ruse and goes in there and writes a demand letter on cardboard and toilet paper. Yeah, I loved that. And uh, this manager knows he's in there a little bit too long and kind of hustles him out of there. Yep. And by the time she got him out, he was he had everything he needed. Do you think there was a reason he had to do this at that moment instead of just going somewhere and getting a calm, quiet place where he could write for an hour on some paper and come back? Well, yeah. I mean, time. okay, number one, time is of the essence, right? Because the sooner he serves them, the sooner certain things become evidence, the sooner... Um, they have to cease and desist on certain things that all of that stuff, you have to take formal legal, legal action in order to protect some kinds of evidence and some rights and that kind of stuff. And then the other thing was he didn't know if they would ever let him back in there. They'd see him coming a mile away if he, you know, if once they kicked him out, um, and you know, and maybe they would have, you know, shut everything down or destroyed everything or something. So, no, he needed to make use of the time he had. That's a really good point because they could have just locked the door and and not even let him back in. So Right, exactly. All right, so we have a commercial break, and then we come back to Mike. Mike's in his booth, and he gets a babysitting call from Stacy. She wants him to watch uh, Kaylee. 
Right. Uh, this was cool because it made Mike happy. I think Mike being happy about being free to do this babysitting makes Stacy happy. It probably makes Kaylee happy. And it made me happy, Jamie, just to see them getting along and and um, giving Mike a chance to get back with his granddaughter and his daughter-in-law. Me too. And I actually, I think of it as kind of being like the beginning of that whole thing of like Mike's real friendship and relationship with Kaylee because before that Matt was alive and he was probably just grandpa every once in a while probably wasn't like babysitting all the time there you know big part of her life grandpa like pop pop like how he is now yeah yeah something's still about to go wrong here I think but we'll you know I don't think Mike just cruises now into breaking bad time with everything cool with with Stacy and Kaylee. I think it's good with Kaylee, but there's something that seems like it's going to go wrong with Stacy. Oh god, come on, Mike. <laughs> well, we never see Stacy in Breaking Bad. That's kind of really mysterious to me. We do see her. I promise you, we see her. We see a brief flash of her picking and dropping off or picking up or peeking through a door or something. We don't he doesn't talk to her. Well, I- Okay, so they wave to each other. Okay, so remember the episode where where Mike has the balloons, the mylar balloons, and he goes out to the to the um, what is it, the warehouse, and he um, shoots that dude in the hand. Yes. That episode when he's dropping off Kaylee at home, he gives her three balloons and says, "The rest are for me." And Kaylee's mom is on the sidewalk, and they wave hello to each other as I he's. Know. Okay, then. There's but, nothing but wrong. But they just had heart-to-heart talks about what does it mean and what should I do with this money? Is it okay? He doesn't even talk to her. Well, I don't know. I would put that more to, like, budgetary-type things, and we don't really want to get too deeply into this relationship and Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is, like, a whole other thing. It's not about that. and you know. But I think, I think they're fine in the future. Okay. All right. We'll see. Just we'll see. Put a pin in it. All so right. Saul cases Sandpiper the joint uh, for the old old folks joint for his dumpster dive. Um, Jamie, this dude is committed. He's gonna go into that dumpster wearing his white freaking suit, God, or at least his white um, pants and shirt. Yeah, I mean, it was so bad because you could tell he was like gagging. It was, I mean, I couldn't smell anything, but it was like I could smell it because it was just so, it seemed so horrible. (laughs) Bob Odenkirk's acting was so good. (laughs) Every imaginable refuse is in this dumpster. Right. And who knows what kind of elder refuse is there, there is in there. Um, There's even like a baby diaper. How's that get in there in an old folks home? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> they had, on the insider cast. They said uh, how they they asked how they filmed it, and the guy said just from the top. <laughs> we just filmed it from the top. <laughs> Vince Gilligan was actually shocked that they hadn't drilled some special hole for the camera or something. And it, it's interesting to me how he doesn't know that. You know how he's he just writes it or manages others who write it, and then they just do it. And he's like, oh, that's that's how you did that. I, I just think that's interesting. It is. It's kind of fascinating until you think about like how they do stuff because they write in L.A. but they film in Albuquerque. They also said um, how how cameras are so good now that everything in that dumpster had to relate to the law firm. Like you couldn't just throw a bunch of papers in there from you know Dairy Queen or whatever. It had to kind of relate to being what a law firm might. Ha- or I'm sorry, an old folks' home. 
had to relate to an old folks home, had to be what an old folks home might throw away. Because oh. cameras are so good now that they can actually read that scraps of paper and the garbage and stuff. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So while he's in there, he gets a phone call. Rich Schweiker is the lawyer for Sandpiper. Right. Wants to know why he's whispering. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy says he's at the opera. Yep. <laughs> the magic flute. Oh, Mozart. Lovely. <laughs> Yeah, this is like the comedy tragedy <laughs> moment. <laughs> so this guy, Rich, has the toilet paper demand letter, and um, he asks about Chuck kind of politely, gives him the benefit of the doubt that, or at least that's his angle, right? That I, I thought you might be related to Chuck, so I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. You know, don't make me drop this sanctioned whatever. He, it's a veiled threat, and then he hangs up on him. Like, right. if you weren't Chuck's brother, I'd be bringing this other problem to you, some sort of legal thing that lawyers can drop on each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy says, well, blow my magic flute, buddy, after he hangs up. <laughs> um, he doesn't find anything in that crappy dumpster, Jamie, but he gets his treasure from the nice blue recyclable one. Right. Always look in the recycle dumpster first, I say. That is a life lesson. <laughs> Go blue. Check the blue bins first. Right. So he goes home. He, he finds all the shredded scraps in this blue blue can. So he takes them all home and sorts them out. Really looked like a hell of a job, man. All that shredded bundles of stuff. I mean, it looks like he tried to sort them first by color and then by the little strips of text direction. Um, then he just does it all, the rest of it, by hard work and just has to look at each little shred of paper and line it up and see if, it's, see if it fits. Yeah, well, Chuck took care of that for him. Yeah, Chuck's fine. Chuck finds him with the spoliation. And he does ask him a couple important things, like first, with the access to the trash, right? How did you break in and get this stuff? You stole their trash. Yeah, Chuck was getting concerned. But Jimmy said it's no problem because no it's public. No expectation of privacy when animals and vagrants can get to it. Right, exactly. I wonder if that's really the law. Um, probably close to it, yeah. Or was that just a Jimmy smartassism? Nah, I think it's, I, I don't know if you could say like, you know, animals and I don't know what, vag vagrants, but I think probably that is the law. There's no expectation of privacy if it's, you know, if, if anybody could rifle through it. And it's not locked, it's on the public street. Right. Yeah, so Chuck says at least it's not cross-cut, which must be a way shredders work in, in a newfangled way they cut two directions right that's exactly right and it shreds it into almost confetti size so he sees jimmy kind of beat down looking through all the stuff and he's he's going to help him eventually but first he asks him if he wants some coffee jamie this was cool because th this is another cool production feature of this episode i really like did you notice when he poured the coffee how how full and rich it sounded no when he poured those two cups of coffee it was like so it sounded delicious, man. It just sounded so cool when he poured that coffee in, into those two cups. Are you going to make me watch this episode a third time so I can hear the coffee? I don't know. I just noticed it. It, was, it just seemed cool. The <laughs> microphone had to be right there at the, at the mouth of the cup. Oh, probably. But, yeah, it checks in on the puzzle matching now. It looks like he's going he's gonna to help his little brother again, and he kind of stays up all night and puts, puts stuff together. 
Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, you know, I it makes me feel so sad that like we don't get to see this relationship between between Jimmy and Chuck. I mean, it just seems like that if Chuck hadn't gotten sick, that they really would have had a nice like time together, both being attorneys and, you know, kind of going after the good causes and maybe having some success and, you know, would have been nice. I don't know. I don't want to be a downer, but I'm worried about Kim and I'm worried about Chuck. God, why? Why? You're the voice of doom these days. You're the voice of doom on the Americans. You're the voice of doom on Better Call Saul. What is up with you? All right, I'll let it lie for now, but I think Chuck, I, I don't know, I am just I just see hints of it that Chuck isn't 100% on Team Jimmy. What? And Kim, too. Kim Wexler, too. Oh, come well, on. Well, Chuck makes him change his name at one point. Well, yeah, but maybe that's because he gets into trouble or something. All right. I don't know. Make Chuck. Your- Chuck does make awesome progress on the shredding, the unshredding, I guess. He finds the smoking gun. Yeah. Invoice from from Nebraska. Why why Nebraska? Why all this focus on Nebraska? Well, I mean, it it means that it's another state. And what the RICO laws are that if it's like interstate, that it's like it's a felony and it's like um there's there it has to do with like sending things through the mail. Um, it's like a big deal. Like it's, if you send it through the mail, it's a federal, literally a federal case. Right. Uh, I, I get that. But why Nebraska and the Cinnabon and Nebraska for the syringe factory? What, what do you think somebody, you think somebody's from Nebraska on the writing team or something? Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you got 50 states to pick from, right? Yeah, you're right. I don't know. It didn't occur to me. Maybe well, you know, I mean, you know these guys. Maybe that's just like kind of a little thing. Maybe they're throwing out out there for us to catch. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe. I, I don't know. It just seems curious that they picked that twice for two different points of the, of this show. I wonder if anybody else noticed though, because I certainly didn't. I didn't even think about it twice. It's the first thing I thought of when he said it's Nebraska. It's the X and X whatever syringe company, Nebraska. Huh. So uh, Chuck starts quoting all kinds of case law and says it's the op- this is our opening salvo for us Jimmy and Jimmy says us are we working together and you're right this is a really good feel good when Jimmy hugs his brother and uh, Chuck doesn't quite know how to reciprocate but it it was a pretty warm brotherly little moment there yeah i thought so all right so we see back at um HHM Kim's packing it up to go home uh, it's really late, and um, Jimmy calls her gorgeous. <laughs> I guess he calls her, right? We see her on the phone. Calls her, hey, gorgeous, and asks, asks her to look something up for him, and then asks her to print it. And this is the this is the copier, Chekhov's copier. Okay, I got you. I got you. So something's up with this copier and being expensive to print and not being able to just charge it to Howard. She needs a, another number. Right, so she gets Chuck's number eventually. Right. So Chuck's fingerprints now, or at least his digital copier code prints, are all over this case. Right. What do you think's looming ahead of us for that, from that happening? Well, I don't think there's anything looming ahead because, you know, um, Chuck is a partner. He's not, like, going to get in trouble with Howard. 
He's not going to get in trouble, but if this is a big $20 million case, Howard's going to say, all right, this is the HHM case because it was, it was built by Howard on our copy machine. He's obviously working on it. He used his code. He's going to be able to connect Howard into the – or going to be able to connect Chuck into it. If, if there's big money to be had, Howard's going to tap into it. Oh, yeah, that's probably – yeah. That's why I call it the, the Chekhov's copier because they made a point of showing it in the beginning and then – they had to put this code deal in here for some reason. Huh. You're right. Plus, Jimmy they, didn't cash in $20 million, right? He's Jimmy. He's to Saul pretty soon. Yeah, you're right. strip mall. Mm, you're right about that. Yeah, so then I started to notice some uh, another pattern here, Jamie. It's the commingling of things. How's that? Well, first of all, the commingling of, of Chuck's name into this case now by putting his code into the copier. And uh, this was another point where I got suspicious of uh, Wexler because she, she could have just helped him, but she needs – do you think she was really worried about the three or $400 in printing costs and how that might get her in trouble? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, I'll let that one go, but it just seemed like – seemed like she was covering her butt first before she was helping – Helping Saul, helping Jimmy. Hmm. I don't know. All right. So remember that commingling Howard Howard's uh, copy business with with Chuck's name being in it. So that kind of connects Chuck's expertise into the HHM uh, firm. So <laughs> next we see Mike and Kaylee, and there's another commingling right here where Mike tells Kaylee, "Don't mix what green and yellow. You get brown, crappy looking clay." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was the second commingling. So then Stacy comes up. She looks like she's a nurse. Did you get that she was a nurse of some some sort? Yeah, she seems. Yeah, I think she. I think she mentioned in the long dark night of the mic that she worked at the hospital. I think. So I think she's a nurse. Yeah. Okay. Then they. So then they. He asked about the or she asked Mike about the money. What should I do about this? It's four or five thousand in cash. It would really come in handy. Right. And Mike encourages her to use it if it helps. Right. And then what do we see? We see Mike go back to the vet. Yeah, but before we get to that, so that was my third commingle. He tells tells her, Yeah, go ahead. This money's like kind of ill gotten, but just go ahead and use it. Okay. I don't know what it's going to mean, but it seemed like they laid a little, a little bit of a theme in there with commingling the clay and the copiers and then now, now this money. Maybe. I Everything's don't... for a reason, right? Uh, with these people, yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we get another call from Swiker. 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 Uh-huh. He's complaining on the phone uh, about all his first world problems, his car, I guess car problems and Telluride or something. Did you catch that? It was like. He was like complaining about some motor not running correctly, and he had to take it in to get repaired in Telluride <laughs> on his vacation. Um, but he, then he gets a fax from Jimmy, I guess Jimmy and Chuck, about the out-of-state invoice. And um, the sandpiper has landed. <laughs> so they have a meeting at Chuck's house. Um, the sandpiper has landed when they show up. That was funny. Right. And Chuck has stage fright. What would you think of that? Why would Chuck be afraid of these guys? I think Chuck is starting to get ill. I don't think he had stage fright. I think he was a little bit not quite there. Yeah, he's he's uh, 
electromagnetism problems are kicking in? Yeah, I think so. Well, Jimmy encourages him, says they're just the pistons and you're the bulls. Pretty cool. Cult, another Gilligan culturalism. I like that. Or maybe Gordon Smith, the writer, but it was cool. Cool cultural re- reference. Yeah. Um, but Chuck's going to be a rock star soon enough. Swiker remembers a past victory of Chuck's and kind of compliments him. Right. With like no acknowledgement by Chuck. That was great. <laughs> yeah, but see, I took it differently. I thought that it was kind of because Chuck wasn't really there. Like, he was kind of, you know, kind of checked out a little bit. He was checked out. He was intimidated by something. He was, like, really afraid of something, I think. I don't think he was afraid. I think he was, like, he's, I, well, okay, maybe a little bit, like, anxious or something. But I think it's because he's starting to lose his grip. Either that or he's just in his massive lawyer zone where he assembles all the facts in his head and he just becomes this powerful lawyer force. Maybe he needs a quiet zone to do that. I don't think so. I don't think so because these guys are his peers and they have like all this respect for him and they're talking to him like he's a legend. And normally, you know, an attorney who's in a, who's like in that kind of league, he's going to be all like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And, you know, kind of downplaying it. But Chuck looked like deer in the headlights kind of thing. And I think it's because he's not quite himself. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. I think I was worried about Chuck later on in this episode. I thought actually he was going to keel over and die of a heart attack or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So Jimmy does all the talking and sets it all up and um, gets to the point where Swiker just says, look, I'll, we've, we recognize there are some errors. We'll give you 46000 in damages, match another 46000 in fees. Let's round it up to hundred k." And um, this is where Chuck pipes in and says, no thanks, it's $20 million. <laughs> Exactly. And he... And he does he does he outline the reasons why, or does Jimmy? I don't even remember, but the 12 sites and the shipments across the state lines. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, he tells Jimmy. He explains it to Jimmy. Yeah, so that it's all of that, plus the multiple events, and all of this makes it a candidate, candidate for RICO and treble charges. Right. Um, this is another cool thing from the Insider Podcast. Gordon Smith, the writer, got all this from his mom and sister, too, like how Rico might be really important because he could treble the charges and make it into a really big case. And um, They said he was, he was on the phone with his mom and sister in the writer's room a few times getting input from them as lawyers. That's really cool. All right, so let's go to the vet's office, and we see Mike with his dog. And that, veter- that veterinarian, Jamie, is comedian Joe DeRosa, another comedian on the show. Aha. Um, and Mike's looking for work. Yep. And that's what, that was so interesting to me. Um, because, you know, Mike was perfectly happy. Well, not happy, but let's say perfectly fine with accepting his life in the ticket booth. But he goes to the vet to get the hookup for some work, some like way, below board work because uh kaylee needs money kaylee's mom needs money why do they need money well i mean i guess she's you know she's trying to take care of her little girl by herself and yeah i mean actually nurses make pretty good money so i'm not sure what the situation is there Uh, maybe it's just really expensive to live or maybe she's not 
exactly a nurse. Maybe she's like a, you know, like a practical nurse instead of an RN. I don't know, but there's trouble there. She's, she's, I mean, they're living in a crappy little house. She's a nurse. She's got a single, she's a single mom. She's not, you know, she doesn't have 12 kids to feed. Yeah. I don't know. Plus they got, I mean, didn't they get some sort of settlement when Maddie got killed? I don't know. You'd think they would some kind of insurance or something. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Something nefarious is brewing there. Maybe. Mike knows he has to bail them out to, enough to change his whole life. It's not to buy groceries. It's some something dangerous is lurking there. I don't know. This is Vince Gilligan, man. Need I remind you? You're right. You're right. You're, you're just a little tired tonight. That's okay. I am so exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're almost there. Jimmy gets home at Chuck's, and he's 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 tired too. Jamie, he's been he's been signing up new clients at the mall. He chases them down. He must he must go after the mall walkers, the old people at the mall, and just uh, approach them and say, "Hey, look, I can set up your will for you for a mere one forty <laughs> for a mere one forty. <laughs> so holy shit, he's tired too. Yeah, he's got to be exhausted. <laughs> I thought Chuck was going to have his heart attack here when he has to go outside and get something from the car. Yeah. Um, uh, it was so sad. He doesn't make it out there on his own. He's excited to be at work again. He's got his heart pumping because of this case. And oh, wait. Gets... That was the past. What do you mean this was the past? Yeah, right? Like, okay. So, oh, maybe I got my time mixed up because I was thinking like, when he went out there and grabbed the box that that was in past when Jimmy passed the bar and had the, you know, that they were working on the case together and then Chuck goes out there and he's out there on the sidewalk and then he drops the box. That's the beginning of him getting sick. No, no, no. He's back and this is real time. Are you sure? Yep. And even Gilligan said on the insider cast, he said, this was Wiley Coyote, right? You don't realize you're out over the cliff until you look down and then realize, whoa, I should fall. <laughs> so he said, this happened to Chuck. He realized he was outside in the sunlight with a, with a remote battery-powered car door lock thing. So he, he rushed out there in the, in the full bloom of his electromagnetism illness. Because he was excited about the case, he just forgot for a second. Um, and then he looks, he realizes, holy shit, I'm outside holding a little electronic device, and then he kind of drops the box. Oh, well, good. I'm so glad. Because that means that maybe he's, you know, starting to feel a little bit better. Do you want to start the podcast over with this new time reference now? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> like no we're only 48 minutes in <laughs> um yeah he's just excited to be working again and so he gets he gets out there and kind of sees what he's what what am i doing oh my god and kind of drops the box and then he drops and um then that's it that's the end um so jamie there's two left next one is 109 pimento what do you think that might mean mm, i don't know oh mike Mike, Mike, um, okay, so in the episode of Breaking Bad where uh, Mike has to go stake out the crack house with the, I'm not crack, the meth house with, um, with the, uh, okay, well, Jesse, Jesse, oh my God, yeah, my Tucker's Hole, sorry, <laughs> yeah, so, so he's eating pimento cheese sandwiches in that one. Oh. yeah, so how does that connect? 
So I think probably Mike is going to get new work and he's going to have to do a stakeout and he's going to bring pimento cheese sandwich with them. Okay. Sounds, sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any predictions, Jamie, before we sign off for tonight? But there's two episodes left. Is Saul going to be Saul? Is anybody else going to be killed? Are we going to see Tuco and Nacho? And what's, what's going to happen in two episodes? All right. So I think that um, we're going to have some sort of uh, some sort of transformation with Chuck. I don't know what. And I think that um, maybe we're going to see um, – I don't think we're going to see a, a transformation for Jimmy – I think that we're going to see Mike's life kind of start to take the the path that it's going to take. Okay, so Chuck and Mike, you think will be different from how we see them now? Yeah. And but Jimmy will be the same. I or or moving along his path, but not. I don't think he's going to flip and be Saul. Okay. Well, stay tuned into us at West Coast Project. Uh, Better call Saul. We also do the Americans and we have Louie coming up. Um, so a bunch of projects on West coast project. Stay tuned in. Jamie, how do pe- people reach you? If they want to tweet to you at word girly. And I am at scathing tweets. So until next Wednesday, Jamie, until next week, Mike, we'll see what the pimento is all about. <laughs>